So yes, good morning. Uh, if I haven't met you, usually we sit over here, our family. So if you don't sit around here, we might not have met you yet, but we hope to in the near future. As we've heard, yeah, this is Epiphany, uh, or better, the Feast of Epiphany. And feast means celebration. Epiphany means appearing, manifesting. So this is about celebrating and appearing, right? But not just any appearing, the appearing of God in the Christ child. And appearing not just to anybody, but to these magi from the East. Gentiles, like you and me, who sought and found and worshipped this, this king of the Jews. Or maybe even better, Epiphany is about how the magi were sought and found and brought to Jesus by a star of all things. And what a perfect way, right, to get somebody's attention, a star. They are just beautiful, irresistible, right, to look at. If you're out on a, a clear night and you're able to, to look up from your phone for a minute and you look up and you just have to stop and say, wow. And if you're with somebody, you just say, stop, look. Wow. Yeah, they're beautiful. They are captivating. They help us uh, ask a question too, maybe. What do they mean? What might the stars be telling us? And I think this is really what astrology is all about, right? Looking for meaning in the stars. What might the stars be telling us about the human situation? And I think we can say that astrology goes too far. They see, it sees and hears more than actually is there. But I think in our secular age, we might not hear enough. We might not hear the actual message that the stars are telling us, according to our psalm, if you were paying attention. Here our psalm at the beginning, it says, The heavens, which include the sun, the moon, other stars, the, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard. And yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth. So according to our psalm, there is this Unified yet silent voice, if we can call that, coming from the sky. And I think for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, the sun, the moon, the starry night sky, they're declaring the glory of God. They're telling us about the glory of God. They, they point beyond themselves to their creator, saying, we are the work of his hands. Look to him. I think this is a voice that's hard to hear in our secular age. Very hard. But it can be heard. John Polkinghorne is a mathematical physicist who became an Anglican priest. And in his books, Quarks, Chaos, and Christianity, I just want to read that book. <laughs> uh, he writes, among other things, about the role stars play in making life human life possible. 
on planet Earth. One obvious one would be the way the sun has been a constant source of energy for life uh, on planet Earth. So without the sun, we would not be alive. A star is keeping us alive. But according to current theories, the, star, the, the stars may have provided more than just energy, as the sun does, but maybe the basic elements of life itself. So the current theory is that the carbon in our bodies that makes life possible came from stars that have died a long time ago. So stars that, massive stars that ran out of helium, exploded and dispersed the basic elements of life into the universe and eventually onto our planet. So maybe we were made from the dust of the earth, but maybe before that from the dust of stars, as Joni Mitchell saying one time, we are stardust. Well, a Polkinghorne in the book tells the story of the late Fred Hoyle, who was a colleague of his at Cambridge University, England, and he is the famous astronomer you may know who coined the phrase the Big Bang, even though he didn't really like the theory. But back in the day, Hoyle was trying to figure out not how, how much or so much how the stars dispersed the basic elements of life, like carbon, but how might have stars made something like carbon in a supernova. And when he did finally come to his conclusions and uh, thought he figured out the theory, he was stunned. And he was stunned because he realized that if the laws of physics were just a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit different, there would be no carbon there would be no carbon-based life forms. There would be no astronomers like himself to worry about it. And so he is known to have said in astonishment, the universe is a put-up job. <laughs> and what he meant by that is after many years of atheism, he came to a different conclusion. That he saw the universe was this finely tuned thing that made life possible. And there must be some cosmic intelligence behind it all. So my guess is he heard something of that silent voice of the stars. And I imagine the Magi heard something of that silent voice of the stars when they were looking up and saw the star, the star Bethlehem. And we heard wise men, that's a translation of the word and we'll, we'll come back to it in a minute. But back in the day, wise men... Magi were astronomers and astrologers together. The two went together. And one of their jobs, of course, then was to, to look at the stars, what were they doing, figure out what their movements meant for human affairs. That was one of their job descriptions. So we can imagine maybe one night they were looking up at the starry night sky to discern these supposed messages when suddenly they see this rising star um, come before them with a real message. The king of the Jews has been born in the land of Israel, and this is a king worthy of worship. So what, what was this star? And, well, you can imagine, there's a whole bunch of kind of theories to explain what was going on with this star that moved and was communicating with them somehow. Uh, and the theories range from, well, it must have been a myth, to make the story sound better, to, oh, it must have been this certain comet around that time. 
or maybe, back to our carbon theory, a supernova was going on. What I have found most convincing is that this was not a natural star, that it was probably some kind of supernatural star. Because what kind of star goes before you and then stops over the exact place where you need to go uh, all of a sudden? That doesn't sound like the stars we know about. So that, yeah, when they were in Jerusalem, the star gets them to Jerusalem, and then there they hear from the scribes that, oh, the, the king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was just a few miles south of Jerusalem. And I Googled it, and it was about a two-hour walk <laughs> to Bethlehem. They didn't need a star. They didn't need much to get to Bethlehem. But they did need to know where in Bethlehem to go. Where was the place? Where was the house of this child? And that's what they get with this star. It says they go it goes before them and it rests over the place where the child was. It's working like a GPS device. <laughs> and uh, that's not a normal star, in my opinion. So could this have been something like the pillar of fire, maybe, that the, uh, the Jews had in the Exodus when they were being led at night? Or maybe it was a star in the unseen realm that's all around us, but unveiled, or sorry, veiled to our eyes, that will be unveiled at the end of time. Could it be something like that, that maybe it was in the unseen realm, and it was just above and ahead of them leading them on, and God enabled them to see it? And I think of the story, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament of Elisha, the prophet. And he's there, and he's got this army with chariots and horses all around him, coming for him. And he's there with his servant all alone, and his servant looks around and thinks, oh no, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, hey, don't worry. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant was probably wondering, you know, what are you talking about, Elisha? I don't see anybody. And that's when Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And God opens the eyes of the servant, and the servant suddenly sees these horses and chariots of fire all around them. And he realized they weren't alone. So there was this natural army that was seen in the, the, in the, in the seen realm, and there was this unseen heavenly army in another realm that the servant was enabled to see. Maybe our navigating star was something like that army. It was this light that was just above and ahead of them, leading them on. And they were enabled to see it, and nobody else was enabled to see it. Whatever it was, this star was declaring the glory of God in a whole new way. Right? A glory full of surprises where the first become last, and the last become first. So outside of Israel... Magi would have been considered wise men and women. There were also women in this profession. And so there could have been women amongst the Magi of the East. It's a masculine plural name, but masculine plural could include women, of course, at this time. And it was, in fact, the queen of Sheba who came to see the Jewish king Solomon, offering him gifts of gold and spices, and other things. 
So wise men might be misleading. And wise might be misleading to us. Certainly outside of Israel, they were considered wise. But a lot within Israel had a different point of view. Right? Uh, Magi, where we get the word magician from, were seen as false prophets amongst the Jewish people. Idolaters who worshipped the stars, who looked to and taught others to look to created stars for guidance instead of the creator and his word. They read too much into the sky. They were too, in our words, superstitious. So, it would have been similar to how Christians have looked at people in the New Age movement. That's how the Jews would have looked at Magi from the East. Not in a positive light. Which, I think, actually gives this story, people notice, uh, note, a little more historical credibility. It wouldn't have been a story that made things look better in a Jewish context. It might have been a bit embarrassing. And so you would only put it in there, well, I know it doesn't look good, but this is just how it was. Because, yeah, these magi, it says, were from the east. For a Jew, that wouldn't have been a great word to hear. It It would have been, to them, these guys are from the wrong place. They're from the wrong race, the wrong profession, and the wrong place. So imagine there was a party, a Jewish birthday party, in fact, a birthday party for the king of the Jews, the coming, the long-awaited Messiah who's going to make things right. The Magi would definitely not be invited. (laughs) But surprise, surprise, they are invited, right? And their invitation is better than a singing telegram. (laughs) It's a star that guides them and somehow communicates with them the things they need to know. And first it leads them to Jerusalem. And there's this appearing, it leads them, and it seems to go away, and then it comes back after they're in Jerusalem. But notice this, um, uh, what they say when they come. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star, and we've come to worship him. That's all they say in the story. That's what they're about. And Herod pretends he's about that too. (laughs) But really he's freaked out with this message, of course, because he is the current king ruling over the Jews. So a new king is threatening, of course, his position. So he wants to get the scribes and the scholars together to get to the bottom of this, who then tell him and them from the scriptures, this king's supposed to be in Bethlehem. And ironically, it's the Magi who listen to the scriptures and go to Bethlehem. And it's the Bible scholars, the professors of the Bible, who don't go to the party. They maybe have something better to do. And notice this progression. It's like our psalm. Where in our psalm, the first half, the heavens declare the glory of God, the created order. And then if you paid attention, the second half of the psalm is all about the law of the Lord the scriptures. And so in our story, it's a created star that leads the Magi to Jerusalem, where then they get further informed by the scriptures, and then both the star and the scriptures guide them to the Christ. Isn't that great? From creation to the scriptures to Christ, that is a common Gentile journey. I've heard many, many times. 
So the Magi, they, they express, as we've heard already, the, God's desire for all people, all nations, not just the Jews. Despite their questionable background, vocation, philosophy, spirituality, political party. So if we imagine God called them because, well, they must have been wise or morally upright, we're missing the point. God called them because he wanted to show them his mercy. That's the only reason God calls any of us. What I love about this story is how God speaks to the Magi in what is common to them, in the language of their vocation. So, and yet at the same time, in a way that also would have challenged some core beliefs in their vocation. As what often happens when God comes to us. So, as we heard, Magi, they were into the stars and into the message of the stars. So what does God do? He uses a star to lead them. And he gives them a message through the star. And one of the other jobs of a Magi would be actually to, well, make their king look good, whoever, whatever king they were serving. But it was also at times to be sent to a new king and to offer them gifts to honor them. And that's exactly what happens here. Now, if these Magi were from Persia, which is very likely, at this time the king of Persia called himself the king of kings. So when the Magi come to the king of the Jews and they get down and they worship, <laughs> by that they're saying, no, this king of the Jews is king of the kings and lord of lords, lord of all. That's what's being said. And at the end of the passage, I love, it says, they went home after a warning a different way. And I don't think that just means geography. I think they never walked the same way again. They never looked at the stars the same way without thinking of that star and its message. They never participated in royal gift giving without thinking of that gift and that worship they gave the true king of kings and lord of lords. They never walked the same way again. And in case you think this is just a kind of thing that was done in the past, God still does this kind of thing today. Let me tell you the story of Ian Panth, someone I know from seminary, from Regent College. Ian used to be involved in the New Age movement. And he did give me permission to share this and his name. He says, giving a real name actually helps give credibility to the story. So that's what I'm doing. But he was in the New Age movement and he believed in auras. So this belief that there is uh, this essential element of a person that emanates from them and surrounds them. Well, he believed his aura was the color blue. And he believed and imagined it was love at the same time. So that he believed, say I was Ian and I was to love you, then I would be giving you some of my blue love aura. And then when you love me back, I would be getting some of yours back to me. So there's exchange going on. Well, he said just before he became a Christian, he was dumped by the first serious girlfriend he ever had. 
And it felt like he said he had given out all his blue love aura. <laughs> and he had nothing left. He was empty. Right? And so at the time, he had a friend who was a Christian who told him about Jesus being the God of love. That's all he knew. And so, he, because of this, he decided to give Jesus a try and ask Jesus for some love, just like he had done with Buddha and others at the time. He said the difference was Jesus answered. <laughs> and suddenly he had this vision of blue light coming from above, filling him up. And then as he thought about people in his life, that blue love emanated out of him to them as he was continually being refilled from above. And he's like, ah, I get it. If I'm connected to you, the God of love, you fill me and I can love people and I can be refilled again and again. And so, yeah, he goes back to his friend and says, tell me more about this Jesus. <laughs> I want to know more about him. But he said it wasn't for a few years after that where he made the connection. He was sitting in a, a class with J.I. Packer who was teaching about the Trinity, Augustine's understanding of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, informed, of course, by the scriptures. And it's there that he suddenly made the connection between his aura, vision, and the spirit of Jesus. And he says, what strikes him to this day is how this radical change of perspective, this metanoia, happened in an instant for him. For, and overturned everything he had been developing for years in the New Age movement. Did you notice the similarities there with the Magi story? How God spoke to him in this New Age uh, astrology language, guided him by a light, a blue light, further informed him by the scriptures at seminary, and all of which led him out of the, the east of the New Age movement and into the God of love in Christ. And then from then on, his gift he offered to God was his love for people, but a gift he first received from God. And that's how it works. From God to God for others. So what would you imagine your gift be? What would you imagine your star to be, if you could? I think the, the temptation we all face is to imagine this story in reverse. That's something of our temptation, if we're honest. That we imagine the star coming and proceeding and stopping over us and our career and our work. That we imagine people coming to us with gifts of praise and recognition for what we have done, for who we are. A lot of what we do can be caught up in that. And I think this becomes apparent when it comes time for us to present ourselves to somebody and to talk about ourselves. And what do we talk about? How do we talk about what we do? And it's hard not to exaggerate the importance of our profession and our work, I think, if we're honest. That maybe the Magi worship the stars. Maybe we worship our careers our work. And I think pastors and professors of divinity are not immune from this temptation. 
we too can exaggerate the importance of our position, of our ministry, our publications. It's easy to desire the recognition, the gift of recognition, too much, no matter who we are. We need to be honest with that, because it feels good, even if only for a moment, especially when we're confused about our Christian identity. Which is why a, a mentor of mine was never tired of saying, beware of making a career out of the crucified. Beware. Much better to follow the star of the Magi that shines not over us, but over Christ, who offer him the gift of recognition and worship. As we offer the gift of our lives and our work to him in service for others. That's a, a radical change of perspective. That's a journey where we find grace, where we find, in fact, that it is we who have been found. It is to us God has appeared in the face of Jesus. And it is to us God has given that profound, deep joy of the Magi. Oh, to see that star and worship the king as Magi from the east.